Hi, this is Andre from Mental Health, and I am here with Recovery in the Bin. This is exciting. Uh, I'm here with Rick and Bethan and Ellie, who have just given a keynote presentation at the Mental Health Nurse Research Conference here in London. It's London we're in, isn't it? it is London. London, yes. So, um, yeah, Rick, starting with you, yeah. why did Recovery in the Bin begin in the first place? Gosh, that's a good question. And uh, uh, I, I think... It, really came from uh, the, the founders finding that the services, in particular recovery, that was being um, thrown at them um, was just horrible. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't relevant to them, it didn't help them, um, or it wasn't available. Uh, it, it, it misidentified what they needed, it didn't support them where they needed support, um, and it ended up being quite a sort of uh, a victim-blaming kind of environment. Um, and the technology, the internet, afforded them the ability to communicate, start a group, um, and then it, it's span out of control from there. Um, and uh, it's now um, uh, bigger. And uh, what we seem to discover is 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 more and more people coming along and going. Oh, I thought I was the only one that thought that. Uh, and it, uh, and so it's um, that's really interesting uh, that we're beginning to um, actually spread all over the place and people realizing they're not alone in finding themselves alienated and let down and blamed. So you're a collective and tell us about your values. What do you stand for? <laughs> um, well, we definitely stand for the service user. Um, that's, that's paramount. We all are. Um, and obviously, uh, we, we are sceptical of recovery, or as we have announced today, neo-recovery. Um, we do have uh, set principles. Um, we are interested in uh, developing thinking along uh, the lines of a social model of mental distress that complements the social model of disability. Um, we're also uh, political. Um, we, we're very much concerned with social justice and the context in which uh, services exist and we exist which is in fact one of the, the issues with recovery because recovery uh, or near recovery I should say um, ignores context uh, which is a, a fatal error on their, their part um, and you can, you can go to our website called recoveryinthebin.org to find out even more um, but I mean as we've gone on we've also adopted you know, positions on various things on trans rights on racism um, and on uh, medication, which we absolutely support um, people's position on what they want. We're not we're not pill shamers. We're not pro pill. We just whatever works for you. That's cool. We're also on diagnosis. We're not against diagnosis. We're not for diagnosis. It's what the person wants and needs. Except in the case of uh, borderline personality disorder, which we see as being implemented as uh, a retaliatory diagnosis. Um, really to kind of withdraw services from people. Um, it's a symptom of neo-recovery, would it you is. say? I'm yes. wondering what, we, I, we said that our critique was in its infancy, and, you know, these are things that we've only recently put together, and that needs to come into our critique. See, it's developing all the time, isn't it? Just so, did, yes. right now. <laughs> so, Bethan, tell me, before I do ask you this, I want to just kind of make it clear that the the talk was really well received I think in the room at this conference and I was feeling really emotional actually at the end of it because you'd obviously all put so much into this and you spoke really passionately about it but it was also there was a sense of what has been lost in the last 
few years by this group and people who align themselves with you, you know, people and lives and all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of reflect on the fact that there was a lot of emotion in the room at the end. It wasn't just you guys, that was shared in the audience. Tell us about this concept, because you, you presented like um, 30 years of research. It was a really kind of eloquent, full of literature kind of presentation, and you critiqued it. That's how we roll. Yeah, yeah. So, and you came up with this, you know, this idea that grassroots recovery is something that, you know, this collective believes in and supports, but it's turned into something else. So talk us through that. This, the word new recovery has been used particularly by Mad Doggy, one of our founders, yeah. um, for a number of years. We did check Twitter and she, used, she was the first person to use it in 2017. So that's why we, we're attributing that word to <laughs> Mad Doggy. Um, and so the, the word has been floated around a lot, but we haven't really sat down and described what do we mean by neo-recovery? And then we thought, well, it, we doing this keynote and we thought, well, let's have a little look about what the grassroots were saying about recovery. If we're coming to a research conference, we need to make sure what we're saying is informed. And um, we sat down and I printed off Deegan, Anthony, Houghton, The Anonymous. Um, so Deegan in 1998, Houghton 1982, Anthony 1993 and Anonymous in 1989. And so we went and read what they were saying. And it was such an emotional experience for... I know you were emotional as well, weren't you, Ellie? Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing to just see how in line what they were saying um, is with what we've been saying for the past few years. And, and going back to what Rick was saying about how we were formed, part of the reason uh, we set up our Facebook group was so that people would have a space to talk about recovery without being told things like you just don't want to get better you know <laughs> you're you're in the sick role and that was whenever we said a critique either as isolated individuals or together um within services that was the kind of response we were getting so originally it was to have that safe space where we could actually critique so when we went back and looked at the original grassroots and just said this is what this we've is been amazing. saying we were <laughs> This is what we want. This sounds amazing. <laughs> Tell me what it's like when you are really unwell and you're forced into this recovery model. What's the personal experience of that? It feels like bullying. It feels completely invalidating. Um, all the stuff with professionals saying we're here to support you, it becomes... It's like, was it, was it Reagan who said the scariest words in the English language are... Um, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So words, words like empowering and supporting, they all, all become misused. So they don't mean what you think they mean. And, and that's a horrible feeling because you feel like you're being um, gaslighted. Yeah, that's, you said that, yeah. didn't you? Um, she just pointed out, just the, Reagan said that to promote neoliberalism, but we've, we've, we've appropriated it from him. Um, that uh, um, well, one thing I <laughs> shouldn't mention. <laughs> um, a, 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 an activist in Manchester brought me a, the latest shiny brochure for a, a local recovery college, and um, I think the word, the one word that came to me from it was it was infantilizing. Yeah. 
these are adults and they're sort of like it is the modern version of basket weaving it really is but also by turning it into by calling about college and stuff it by definition is saying we're going to end support so you know it's you don't go to university forever you know, you're here for a bit and then that's it, off. So it's implicit within it, discharge. Well, they talk about progression. So discharge mm. or moving on from services appears to be central to what we call neo-recovery, doesn't it? Yeah. Particularly. Um, do you want to talk about the long-term needs that are not being met, Ellie? Because you're probably quite good at talking okay. about that, what it feels like from people you know and, and things like that. Well, I suppose with the long term needs, there's there's this sense now that um, recovery just becomes we can discharge you even if you've got symptoms. Like at least before, if you if you recovered, your clinical symptoms are under control. Now recovery seems to be interpreted as we really don't have to do our job at all. We can just discharge you because they've taken on board symptoms, and that's part of how it uh, links with the policies and neoliberalism of, of not supporting people. So in, in terms of the long-term support needs, um, as somebody with a mental health condition, I consider myself disabled and I have functional disabilities um, with, with my executive function and you know, I can come and speak today about these theories of neo-recovery, but if you come to my house, it's it's quite a state. And, um, you know, quite often my entire day is just sitting on Amazon, um, just browsing it and not being able to concentrate. And that's true for so many people. So many people with severe and enduring mental illness um, that I know struggle. They, they want cleaners. They want help with cooking. Um and they want support to sort of leave the house, it's with these functional things, and that's all been lost, it's, it's seen as laziness, it's seen as you don't want to recover, and it's very, very frustrating because your needs aren't recognised and you're told that we're promoting independence, but instead of in, independence means giving us the support so we can make the choices, giving me support so I'm not living in a house that if it was a asylum the cqc would shut down um yeah it it, it becomes just abandoned abandoned to this concept that's meant to be great that they called recovery but hasn't worked out like that and of course since austerity what's happened for people living with mental illness is that um it's so hard to survive rick do you want to kind of Tell us a little bit about the kind of political well, uh, dimension to this. Yeah, well, just, uh, you know, it's, it's well established within the social model of disability, the, the needs for independent living and inclusion in society. Um, but in mental health, the, the, the medical model is still incredibly dominant. And as, as Ellie said, there's, there's no um, uh, permanent support being um, thought of for people, it's it's all about you. You know, at some point get better or something. Um, and it is very hard to get any level of appropriate support, particularly under austerity. And that you know, uh, we're in this political climate where we've undergone a decade of um, our rights being taken away, as the United Nations has reported. We're now the only country on earth to be uh, condemned for grave and systemic abuses of disabled people's human rights. Well done, UK. You did it. Um, and uh, I, I, it, it's an unprecedented... It's, it's not uh, a neglect. 
it's an aggressive removal of services, an aggressive removal of rights. It is a hostile environment. And for neo-recovery to sit within that and ignore that context is, I think, unforgivable. I want to talk about the evidence. (laughs) So you've cited already some of the kind of really important grassroots recovery literature, but you also spoke a lot about the recovery research that's been conducted over the last 10 or 15 years. Tell us a bit about that. So, yeah, um, like, so we went back to the grassroots, um, but obviously also we looked at the current and emerging evidence basis. Um, And we were really surprised, actually, to find out, as you may know from our other interactions on Twitter, there wasn't actually any randomised controls or really robust evidence for recovery colleges. Um, um, But obviously I knew about the refocus intervention um, and we looked into the trial of the refocus intervention. I think that's the largest trial that has been that there has been of a recovery focused intervention I thought there's an incredible amount of work that's gone into this we've got time you know all the systematic reviews the trial itself and the process analysis alongside it so there's an incredible amount of work gone into it um but what struck me looking at the manual um, and the contents of the intervention was that it was so far removed from one our current social or political or our day-to-day real context in the real world it didn't address the difficulties and issues we we have I felt that it didn't reflect our current needs, but also having gone back to the grassroots and read the grassroots, it was clear that it wasn't rooted in the grassroots. As we said in our presentation, it's based on the theories of attitude and behaviour change. It's the theory of planned behaviour. And there's a logic model in the refocus manual. um, And that's not... They're not our theories. They're not... um, So if you're going to base an intervention on that, then that's going to um, influence what you put in the intervention. So the underpinning theory needs to be um, right and proper to ensure that the intervention that's developed reflects the reality. Um, And there's nothing wrong with some behaviour change theories as long as they're used alongside other theories. So there's no reason why the social model of disability could not have been included or or, or whatever in that. Um, So just a question then for all of you. Let's say a new research institute sprung up somewhere in this country that was completely... Um, you know, linked to no one, um, no bias, no kind of financial conflicts, all that kind of stuff. And you were co-producing a research program with them, and there was, you know, no budget, no budget limits. You know, like fifteen million, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that sounds good. What are you gonna What are you gonna research? How are you gonna go about doing that? Um, well, Bethan was just saying. I, I know the um, admins at Recovery in the Bin have have a lot of them have been going through PIP and ESA assessments this year, um, and I've actually had that too. Um, I gave up. I, I managed to get standard, but that went down from high rate DLA and low rate mobi- high rate care and low rate mobility for DLA. I went down to just standard on PIP, um, and I was told it'd be very easy to challenge it but I just I couldn't cope with it anymore and what I'd want 
to be researched is well what impact does that have on my recovery um you know let's actually look at this context that is being driven by the political um ideologies but the real context it has in services on people's recovery and in terms like near recovery i was told to promote my independence i was just signposted to the cab or the welfare rights well i actually years ago used to, used to work for them in, in my area there's still people there who i know i didn't feel comfortable doing that and also because of how distressing it is it's not just getting somebody to fill in the form i know how to do that it's how upsetting it is to write down how ill you are and for me to get standard straight off considering you know people who are dying don't manage that that gives an idea of of the level of difficulties i can have and um i've had no support from services at all uh, with any of that. So that is what I'd research. I know there's there's been a lot of mention of austerity, poverty, but let's get down to the basics. Let's look at the actual things that are happening. You know, my income can be taken away any time. The way the PIP works, about two days after I got my PIP decision, cutting my income in half, then my ESA came along, and. It's, it's taken up a year of my life and that's not helpful to recovery and we can't just look at empowering me and giving me confidence when I don't have the damn money to live on. Yeah, yeah, okay. So there's like a huge amount of research that we could look at about the harms that the current welfare reforms and all that I, kind of I, stuff has had, absolutely. If you gave us 15 million quid, I mean, after I bought a yacht, of course, um, the SS unrecovery, um, uh, I mean, we would actually ask people, yes, we would. what do they want for a start? Because that, that should direct the research. Um, and I do think it would be a lot about that and also about a future model for how we do um, health care, social care and social security. How is that going to work and how are you going to access it? And all within, you know, a developing social model of a mental distress, uh, a social model of disability, um, which, you know, does talk about the barriers in society and how to remove those, how to change them. It's great that you've been invited to talk at a mental health nursing research conference because I think mental health nurses are probably the one professional group within this whole kind of field who are receptive, more receptive than others, I think, to this message, but also have a real course of action that they can take what what kind of what recommendations would you give to nurse lecturers or student nurses or you know mental health nurses working on the ground how do you think they need to change what they do reflecting on what you're saying here I think the first thing that can be done is is not actually the the people on the ground it's the professional bodies like the RCN they they need to make statements uh, they need to be a bit more political and make statements particularly about welfare reform and support their members to challenge that kind of thing and and almost give frontline staff the permission to make all this austerity and and um um, human rights abuses that the UN says we are experiencing part of their fundamental work and believe us not just say you know you don't want to get better yeah the at the professional body level they 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 do need to just realize it's time to be unpopular with the powers that be and actually say some true and con confrontational things there's been too many deaths 
to stay quiet about this. Uh, also, there are members who, you know, some of them are doing assessments for the DWP's contractors. I think they really need to start saying that those are unethical and you should not be doing them. Um, and I think for the, the, the general staff on, on the, the ground, the, the troops in the trenches, um, meet with service user groups and, and pay as much attention to them, if not more, than, than your you know, management targets and you know, um, the policy diktats that come from uh, higher up. I imagine you're all regarded by health professionals as difficult. <laughs> yes. You can say that, yeah. yeah. So what? Oh, they love me. <laughs> just on a one-to-one level, how do you think, how would you like mental health professionals to work differently, given that the current system doesn't necessarily support that kind of action? How do you think they should change the way they work with people who demand space to be mad? We don't necessarily demand a space to be mad we demand to be allowed to be mad in this current context um, of neo-recovery and neoliberalism as Mad Dog said at the quote that we used, Mad Doggy in in the quote that we used, that we you know um, have the right to stay unrecovered whilst um, the systems and services are not there to help us in our recovery. So we're not people who want to stay mad, um, but we have no other choice. So at the same time, so we have no choice, and at the same time, the support that we actually need is not there. And also, you know, if you're if you've got someone who's becoming homeless um, and they're distressed, that's legitimate distress, and probably the best thing for it is not medicine or therapy. But a fucking home. Yeah. So I just wanted to add, like, lots of people have asked, what can they do? Um, and we worked quite hard on this to introduce the critique. What's going to come later? What we'll now move on to looking at is a call to action and being more specific about it. So I'm sorry we weren't able to um, go into as much detail as maybe people would have hoped today, but that is something that we most certainly want to advance and um, we invite um, nurses and other people who want to support or listen to us um, to to get in touch with us. Um, So, yeah. And I'd also say that how how I'd want people to work with me differently is not to um, assess away needs, to actually be my advocate, to not blame, you know, I don't know what pressures their managers are putting on them, but then it gets down to me and my expectations are too high. Um, And I'd like them to actually say, no, you need and deserve this support. I will go back and I will challenge and that will be on me, but I'll get support and supervisors. So the whole chain should be helping people from the bottom up to challenge um, poor care for people with long-term and severe mental health problems. And and be honest, if you know what, if you can't offer anything because it's been cut, so it's been cut, and the reason for that is the government. So you know what, tomorrow, let's both of us and as many people can find go out and protest that somewhere. Do that. Don't just gaslight people and say, you know, we're going to have to discharge you, we're going to have to do this or that. It's because you've got no money. Be honest about it and then go and do something about it. In a democracy, everyone is a political actor. If you're not doing it, you're shirking your responsibility as a citizen. (laughs) 